Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri as the traditional owners of this land this podcast was recorded on, pays tribute to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Yarra, and gives respect to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to a Yarra Libraries podcast. Today we're thrilled to bring you Jason Chong. Jason is the author of Plant Society, an essential guide to indoor gardening, which will help you keep your plants alive and stop you feeling guilty if you don't succeed. Jason is also the owner of The Plant Society, his Collingwood-based cafe and plant store. The Plant Society also consults on incorporating plants into architecture and interior design. Jason is joined in conversation by Megan Dew, aspiring plant cultivator, podcaster, and collections librarian at Yarra Libraries. Join us to hear about all things plants, as well as the wonderful things that can happen when you follow what you love. But first, Jason, I know that your day-to-day is probably quite shaped around plants, but when did you start gardening? Um, I started gardening when I was 10, so quite young. Um, I'm now 31, so I've been gardening since. Um, I never really kind of gave up on gardening. I think there was a year of hiatus while I was living in London. But I always found it therapeutic to garden or almost a challenge to to work out what other plants did and how they grew. And um, it was always a tester. And then recently into indoor plants, mainly because of moving closer to the city as well and not having a lot of land space to garden, which I think a lot of us deal with. And a lot of people ask why I don't have more Australian natives in the book and, you know, more kind of local plants. Sadly, we don't look at tropical natives as Australian for some reason. Um, whereas people want to grow gum trees inside, which realistically we're never going to do because the climate's not for it, really. Yeah. It could also be a problem size-wise. Yeah, possibly. exactly. <laughs> um, so when did gardening stop being something that was just bookending your day, something that was a hobby for you, and start being something more? Two years ago. So it's gone quite fast, which has been an amazing journey. I actually was an architect and still am registered as an architect, um, and would use a lot of plants in my work um, and try to kind of incorporate natural sunlight, which is, funnily enough, really important um, for ourselves and for plants. And then also um, throughout a whole lot of large projects for therapeutic reasons, I just think that in offices they're great from an air point of view, but also psychologically to have your staff be able to go and prune something where they're, when they're really angry, I think is really good. Um, <laughs> And I guess my life's kind of shaped like that now. So I probably never sat well as an architect because I hated sitting around a desk and I always got told to sit down and do my work. Although, you know, I'd work really fast, go for a walk, come back and work really fast again. But I think there's a standard we see work as sitting behind your desk and only having half an hour break, which I don't think is very natural. And so two years ago was our house was discovered, um, which had at that point 150 plants indoors. Um, it now has 400 because we've been collecting a whole lot from old growers and it was actually Nathan who's sitting here and good family friends were at Jane's farm, a hobby farm, and I was in a veggie patch and she had said, why don't you pick up gardening as a real job? Because I had gone through a string of architectural firms which were probably not the best for me in terms of work culture um, and me being stubborn, disagreed with bullying and disagreed with working 22 hours a day and only getting paid for eight hours and so I moved around firms quite fast and I was there for a year which now actually 
that was a great thing because I learned how to run a business or how to run a team without having to be the typical workplace. And so that happened two years ago. And I never wanted to do this, funnily enough. I didn't want to do it because I didn't want it to give up my therapy. So I used to garden before work and after work. And I felt that if it became my job, I would hate it, which hasn't been the case. So I still therapeutically garden at home. So I'll go home and garden for an hour. It's kind of a different kind of gardening. And then work gardening is different as well. So a lot of people here might have been to the store. Is that public-facing part of the Plant Society, the whole of the business? Um, No, so it's actually quite a small part of the business. So people always say our lives are really glamorous. It's because they see what they see on social media. And I always say I'm not going to post myself bending over in a trench digging a hole um, because that's not not what social media is about. So we always educate. We spend a lot of time educating and we always educate the younger demographic that Instagram isn't everything, that there's other things in life that you need to talk about, but you're not going to post about it on a social platform. We do commercial styling and fit-outs, which covers probably two-thirds of our business. Um, We just flew back from the Gold Coast last night at 1am after doing a big sports bar in the Gold Coast where we want to get rid of fake plants and get our big stakeholders and developers to put money towards real greenery. I don't think we can keep saying the government should do it because we're a community too that can easily put plants in projects. So that's part of the business. So that's installing new projects, working out what plants will work in spaces, and then we do maintenance. So we actually have taken the idea of a gardener and highlighted the fact that it can be a real career, and then another six in Sydney, um, and one each in Perth and Brisbane. So that's all happened within a year. And then we spend another portion of our time, because I never wanted to run a traditional business, where we dedicate time to talks like this, And also we do workshops with community members, retirement villages, and a whole range, because I think that that's what makes up our community, not just people who can pay for plants. So we split our time up like that. Yeah. Is it challenging going into a large commercial business and convincing them to get rid of their plastic plants? Um, No, I kind of love, I've grown to love negotiating. Um, And I think that's where I got my skill set from being an architect. So um, I see myself as a translator to developers and a translator to clients. Many of you might have dealt with a designer or an architect and felt that they were just pushing their aesthetic onto you or pushing what they wanted. And I see some smiles. But um, I always approached it slightly differently, think, acknowledging that everyone lives in a house differently and that no architect or designer could actually tell you that their role should really be there to preempt anything that might go wrong, much like a doctor. And I had... I listened to an interesting podcast talking about podcasts about nurses who became ill in the arena they worked in and how uncomfortable they felt under their own care because they weren't told what was going to go wrong. The answer was always like, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, but they wanted to know how I would feel today. And so we spend a lot of that time with our clients telling them what's going to happen. Yes, we might put plants in, they might die, but you need to watch them in a week and look after them this way and um, or we'll be there to support you. So we always say, send us a photo, even if you think it's a stupid question, and we will respond to it straight away. And that's when we started setting up our maintenance because that was never something we wanted to do. But one developer who we were comfortable with, and I picked up the phone and said, hold on, $2,000 is $2 to you. And I said that to him in kind of a witty way. And he said, you're right, it is $2, but... 
for me to lose $2,000 in a week is a bad investment. Uh, and that's when I understood it too. Um, he said, I've invested plants before and $200,000 worth have died in a week. And when someone says that, you go, it's actually a problem. And he said, can you look after them? And at that point we said, mm, we probably can, but let us go away and work it out and come back to you. And we went back with a price that was it looking after our time, acknowledging that we still ran a business and he ran a business um, and he was happy with that. So we started our maintenance. So in everything we do, we try to be really honest with developers and not intimidated. So not letting our age play a role in doing things for free and actually valuing our time and our knowledge over, you know, a 50 year old developer who might seem like they know more, but they've brought us in because they think light bulbs grow plants, but they don't. <laughs> Um, so it's more kind of passing that knowledge on. Yeah. Is that where the book comes in? Because it doesn't sound like you have a lot of time with the other aspects of the business. So I'm wondering how the book actually happens. So. Everything is kind of ramped up at the same time. So we now have a team of 10, which is really great. So we went from Nathan and I doing it part time to a year later, me quitting my job and focusing on it. And at that point, it was still a bit rocky. And that's when I was writing the book. And once I finished the book was when we really launched the Plant Society because we felt like something was going to happen in a good way um, if we worked really hard. And don't get me wrong, we still work seven-day weeks. So I had my first day off in a year yesterday, which felt really good. Congratulations. But, uh, <laughs> but um, it has been really rewarding. And I think when you do something that you love, it doesn't feel like work. So, And we're fortunate. All our work comes through word of mouth. And so the clients are already on our side. And we're realistic. So if we know there's a wealthy client, for instance, who we deal with some of the top 10 richest families, and that kind of puts a spectrum on who we deal with. Um, and then we deal with community work as well. So we deal with a broad spectrum. And the biggest thing for us is that relationship. So we do interview our clients to make sure that we have a relationship with them because sometimes we're in their house. I've been in a house with one of the top 10 richest families and she's getting ready in en suite while I'm watering the plant in the same room. So that's how intimate we do get. But it is good that we're honest. So a lot of contractors and builders would actually go in there and charge them three times the amount, knowing they have money. Um, but we always charge them what we feel is right. Yeah. And everyone gets charged the same amount. So that's been a good lesson as well. So it all the book came about in an odd way. I never thought I would ever write a book. I never thought I could write a book. But I was actually traveling in, the U um, in America, in New York, and I had, we had just launched the Plant Society. And what we had first started was called the Plant Social. And it came off the back of me trying to join the Botanic Gardens Friends Group. And I was told, and some of you might be members, but um, I was told that I had to wait 10 years to become a volunteer. And me being stubborn once again, um, my response was, I can wait 10 years because I would be 40 and that would be fine. But I can't, we can't afford to lose 10 years of knowledge of one of the other members because through my research, a lot of propagators were passing away and losing that knowledge as well. So there's ferns like tassel ferns, which are native to Australia, but there's not many people who know how to propagate them or have the patience. And so I didn't want to lose that knowledge. So we started doing plant socials and we thought, where do Melburnians go? And that was cafes. So we just started approaching cafes to host a plant social and slowly that picked up. Um, and we went from once a month to once every fortnight to once every week. And at that point it got too much because we were storing all the plants in our 
terrace because we live in CWR actually. And we would have to climb through the plants to get anywhere in the house. So we decided that wasn't sustainable. Um, and it was me being stubborn saying, I never want to open a shop because a retail is dead in terms of you hear retail's dead. So I never wanted to do it, which is interesting how this has grown because I never thought I could write a book. And so we had a break because it was so overwhelming doing the plant socials and we're in America and my phone just went off. It just kept flashing from Instagram and social media and then reports um, as in news reports. And then I couldn't work out why. And it was Nathan who actually said, why don't you Google yourself? Huh? And so I did. And I had just been named one of the top 10 Instagrammers to follow by an American company. And there were some other Australians on there. And then that's the next day I got an email from Hardy Grant and it was just titled book deal question mark. And then I flew back and I met with them and, um, they actually wanted me to do a coffee table book. And I laughed actually in the meeting and I said, no. And they said, why are you laughing? Because people would do anything for this. And I just said, well, as an architect, all I use coffee table books is to style for photos. No one ever opens them. Um, no one's ever going to learn from them. Careful, you are in a library. No. Yet, so. <laughs> but I think it's, I've been talking to a lot of publishers and I think you guys will probably feel the same way, is that the books have kind of gotten to a point where, yes, they're pretty, but are they actually passing knowledge on? And are they approachable to City of Yarra, for instance, where... Or, or the gardening books have their place. You know, you've got your Paul Bangay Gardens, you've got the big estates, but will we ever have that estate in our backyard? And so that's, I think, the big transition of having tasks that city dwellers can actually use as well. Mm. Um, and so that's how the book came about in like a long-winded way. <laughs> uh, speaking of it being useful, that's one of the things mm. that I love about the book is um, kind of the opposite of a green thumb, but the book's not very threatening. It's, mm. It really encourages complete beginners to have a go and not be afraid of casualties. Why was that approach so important to you? Um, well, that came off the back of that whole comment about the coffee table book. I, I find some of them intimidating because you, you kind of freak out and go, is it perfect? Am I going to get it right? Am I going to style my house as this book is? Or I've got this photo of Pinterest and does my house look like that? Yes, I'm just going to copy it and put it into there. Um, and so we had this big push to make it A, approachable. And that was where I said to the publisher in a response that I remembered kind of the back of the 80s where I inherited books from my grandparents and my parents that you learned about knitting, you learned about, you know, how to change your tie in a book and you learned about gardening and it was very instructional and that's what I wanted to recreate. Almost how we see the modern day cookbook where if we can cook a really fancy meal, why can't we garden? Because gardening I think is easier than cooking. Um, and so that's where it will seem like a recipe book and it's quite honest about me killing plants still because I'm always experimenting and that there's nothing really wrong with killing plants or making mistakes in society as long as you learn from them. And we talk with a lot of young, the younger demographic and their fear of even picking up a plant because they don't want to kill it or they're really nervous about trying a new career because they don't want to fail. And so it's interesting to see that in society where failure is a negative thing, whereas I think going through architecture... I always got told to make mistakes because you can only learn one way, but as long as you learn from it, yeah. Um, and we wanted to really make it approachable. You'll probably notice I had a big push. It's a subtle thing in the book, but to have photos of people in them so that people could relate to them, people could see scale, um, people could imagine themselves in there. Um, and there was a funny moment where I had a spreadsheet because I am really... <laughs> 
organized in a way, there's organized chaos, but I had a spreadsheet of who was coming into model and at what point. And we, by then we had 20 models and the publisher was like, do we really need this? And I was like, well, I want everyone in Australia to be able to connect to someone in the book because we're all very different, but we need people to connect to. Yeah. What sort of plants would you recommend for complete beginners, for people who haven't picked up a plant because they're afraid of killing it? Yeah, so we, I, I have a few icebreaker plants and typically they're office plants and the reason why people don't like them is because they went through an 80s office where they had peace sillies, devil's ivy and uh, monsteras. I always say they're the best because I also call them canaries because they're the first to go droopy and they will droop and when you water them they'll spring back, unlike a maidenhair fern. Um, which will just go crispy. <laughs> so um, I always say don't choose a plant purely by aesthetic. Um, I think that's what we get caught up in nowadays. And it's interesting we're doing work with Country Road and trying to change the way retail is, which I never thought I would be in that position from a plant point of view. But assessing how Australia has become and the rest of the world has become and that we are all tired of fast fashion. We're all remotely tired of shopping. I don't think anyone's started Christmas shopping yet because they just can't bear the thought of doing it. <laughs> and that there's kind of this, not a slow movement, but we are wanting to support the community more and we're not wanting to buy materialistic things anymore. So it's the same with plants. So I always say don't buy it purely by aesthetic and the fiddle leaf fig is a good example <laughs> that everyone bought a fiddle leaf fig because it was the thing to have. I remember growing up, my aunties and uncles would always buy the appliance like the, the rice cooker that everyone had to have and then no one used it. And I think we all went through that. But um, we try not to make gardening a trend. And so it's a big push. I get interviewed all the time, what's the next big trend? And I don't think it is a trend because I think as the city densifies and there's no public parks, we're going to want more plants regardless. So yes, they're the most inexpensive and they're the most impactful really in interior. So always choose a plant purely on the lighting you have rather than the aesthetic. Because I always I say there's no there's nothing nice about a dead plant in your house. <laughs> so I suppose like a lot of people I'm maybe sort of slightly one on from a complete beginner. The three plants you mentioned are the exact three plants that yeah. are in my house. Um, so um, and other than watering them regularly when something looks like it's going wrong, I really yeah. don't know what to do other than maybe move them around and hope for the best. Yeah. So what sort of maintenance other than watering should be going on when you have indoor plants? What should be, you be watching out for and what does that signal? Yeah, so I always say I'm not a big fan of technology as such, but your diary entry, if you forget, is a good thing. So I always do my weekly maintenance where I'll go and check the plants, water them. Really use your senses. So I'm kind of against water meters and technology and apps. I've been asked to do an app for watering, which I always say use your finger because you can work out whether it's wet or dry. Um, we just had that example coming here. You turn Google Maps on and you're on the other end of the street and you're not actually met. You know, you drive past and that's it there. But um, the same thing for watering. I always say go around and check under foliage, check on top of foliage if there's dust, but also check for bugs because they like to hide underneath. And if you check it regularly, it's like any illness for humans. If you check it regularly, you pick up on it faster. Um, and then you know to watch it constantly. I think it's important to do it weekly. Not only is it therapeutic, but becomes a chore, but not like cleaning. Some people love cleaning, don't get me wrong. But um, it becomes a chore that is really therapeutic. And it, I feel like it teaches gardeners a lot of patience and teaches people a lot of patience. Um, when people first come to us, they go, why hasn't it grown a leaf yet? And they bought the plant yesterday. And so 
And it's we deal with a lot of that. We get a lot of, do I need to water it? Will it grow? How fast will it grow? Do you reckon it will grow two metres in two weeks? And it's yeah. all these are really hard to answer depending on your house. But if you've got the patience to actually go through and check plants and you were saying the right thing, when you feel like something's not right, you move it or you give it a go. Um, I always say when you've got plant problems that it's um, a multiple choice question you don't know the answer to, but you know there's a few things and normally they're linked to water, light and nutrition, the fundamentals. Um, and then you might go, well, I watered it yesterday, so it's not underwatering. So I might be overwatering because I watered it every day um, and slowly tackling away at it. I always say patience is a key for gardeners, gardeners uh, because you start picking up. And that's when you build up your skill set. So once you do have the beginner plants, um, I always say challenge yourself with other plants. You know, the next step up is like peperomias, and, which is why we've actually rated the plants according to skill level. Because um, I think gardening, like any industry, is about skill set. So if you throw yourself in the deep end and buy a fiddle leaf fig, um, I find that people resist gardening. Whereas if you kind of build up slowly, that's when you start learning. Um, so always just checking regularly. The key is during the season changes. So normally during summer to autumn is when you'll get a lot of casualties or something might go wrong. Yellow foliage. Um, leaves falling and that's when you know something's wrong um, it sounds really silly but let the plant tell you something's wrong don't preempt that something's wrong and then freak it out <laughs> well I, I can actually recognize a couple of those things in my own plant so i might have to go through yeah. a bit of the um, multi-choice questionnaire there so perhaps now we have a bunch of living plants they're in the right rooms they're getting enough light where does styling come into that what are some tips for using plants to make your rooms look fantastic um, I always try to style from a point of view of passing planters on, for instance. So I'm quite against kind of fad colours and um, all the cool things when it comes to gardening. When I style, I try to capture light um, and shadow because I think that's a beautiful thing to capture in a house. I always try to pair your pots to your plants. So there's nothing worse than a black plastic pot sitting in your nice living room. But I don't think it has to be expensive either. So a lot of my planters are vintage planters that I might have sourced or actually gotten from hard rubbish, but balanced it out with other planters that might be made locally. Yes, some of them are expensive, but I always say they're the ones that you want to think properly about and keep them for a long time. And Melbourne especially is really fortunate to have some amazing ceramicists, not so much in Sydney and the other states, but... Um, we're really fortunate that you can get really great ceramics at, at an affordable price and you can get the other spectrum as well. But always, I, my biggest key is to look at your space and how much space you have. We spend a lot of time harnessing the interior design of someone's personality, personality really, and carrying it through into the planters and the plants we choose. So a typical exercise we get is an architect will come to us and say, I want plants and they show us a gum tree for instance that won't work or a fiddle leaf fig, or a fiddle leaf fig um, which I actually just installed my first in a very long time in Gold Coast but it looks amazing and it will work there so often it'll be a fiddle leaf fig in there's no natural light so then we go away and we find that atmosphere in other plant types that will survive in that space so um, we will slow down and look at natural light first and go there's only probably five plants will grow in low light. 
which ones are closest to the leaf foliage that the architect is giving us. And then we start looking at planters and say what colours on the wall, what uh, finishes do they have on the floor. And then also, what is the client like? Will they like something really quirky or will they want something really conservative? And also, does it do their space justice? So if someone gives me a black and white room, I'm not going to give them a bright pink pot. So it's all about coupling it like you would in your interior as you're buying homewares really as well. So if people take one thing away from this book or for that matter from this talk tonight, what would you like it to be? Just to give it a go, really. So um, I just think that gardening, there's so many benefits of gardening that we don't really see until you actually do it. There are a lot of studies into having your hands in soil and seeing things grow, but I still get so excited when a client is so happy there's a new leaf, for instance, or seeing their space in six months is quite rewarding. And I think that's something a throw can't do for you. (laughs) For instance, a cushion can't do that for you. It's an instant reaction whereas plants will keep on kind of giving. And if you give it a go, that's when you're going to learn. I just think that if you don't throw yourself in the deep end, um, you're never going to learn. And I always say ask your community, so your neighbours, your family, your friends. That's the reason why we ran the plant socials, where people actually started becoming friends from gardening. Um, We did an amazing plant swap a few, two years ago, just as we started. And we're about to do one next year. But um, that was quite beautiful to hear the stories of the plants come from other people. Some people wrote really cute notes on there, how to look after it, what worked for them, what didn't work for them. I still get tips from my neighbours about citrus because that's not something I specialise in. And they're the best people to get tips from. Yeah. So what's next for the Plant Society? Um, a lot. So... We've got some great projects next year. So we're kind of winding down still really fast, but I'm actually working on a new book, which will come out December next year. Um, And that's focused on small spaces, but also it will cover balconies, rooftops, um, and bring in edibles and natives, because that's something I wanted to cover in the first book, but it was too much. And it will look at, you know, pocket-sized gardens on a balcony and how you can bring textures of herbs into ornamental planting, that it doesn't just have to be edible and that's all you grow because there's other things you can grow which will accompany it. And then we've got some, we've got an amazing collaboration of Country Road next year where we're designing a planter range with them, but it's to teach them that they don't have to copy young Australian designers to get what they need to get out of their business as well. And then we have um, some other big projects which might happen internationally as well. So, but we'll stay calm for now. Great. Well, we look forward to seeing what happens. That was Jason Chong discussing his book, Plant Society, with Megan Ju at Bagunga Nunyan North Fitzroy Library. We run regular author talks at all branches of Yarra Libraries, so please keep an eye on our website. For you, we'd recommend Nicole Haddo talking about her book, Smashed Avocado, the Guide to Unexpected Methods for Accessing the Housing Market, on November 28th at Richmond Library. If you'd like to read Plant Society or any other titles about caring for your indoor plants, please come and visit your local branch or reserve a copy online. Yarra Libraries thanks you for joining us. We can't grow your plants for you, but we can help you grow with knowledge, community and enriching experiences. May you and your plants blossom into your full, beautiful potential.
don't forget to drink lots of water. Our theme song is Ad And by Broke For Free.